Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. Another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. Special counsel John Durham announced the second indictment stemming from his investigation into the origins of the FBI's Russia probe. The defendant this time is a cybersecurity lawyer with links to the DNC and the Hillary Clinton campaign. In other news, the trial of Elizabeth Holmes, the disgraced founder of biotech company Theranos, kicked off recently in California. And the first lawsuit stemming from Texas's restrictive abortion law were filed against a doctor who wrote an op-ed about performing an abortion in defiance of the law. Preet Bharara and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. So there's another case underway, Joyce. Is it possible that we have not yet talked about the trial of Elizabeth Holmes, the CEO of Theranos? It's amazing that we haven't yet discussed it, but this week we have not one but two indictments to talk about. I went back last night, I think you did too, to reread this indictment. And here we are a couple of weeks into the trial already. So as background, first of all, this is a case that a lot of people are following very closely and have followed for a while. There was a book called Bad Blood by John Carreyrou, reported for the Wall Street Journal, and it was Wall Street Journal reporting, I think, that led to a federal investigation of this woman and her former boyfriend, Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Balwani, who in the indictment are charged with, between the two of them, 12 counts of wire fraud or conspiracy to commit wire fraud in connection with their promotion of their investment in their company, Theranos. And the supposed genius of, of Theranos, the company, was that they developed a method for drawing only a few drops of, of blood from a patient's finger and were able to do many, many, many diagnostic medical tests on the blood. So it was something that was quick and easy, much wanted and desired in the market. And the feds allege, following Wall Street Journal allegations and this book's allegations, that it was kind of made up, that the test didn't really work. And not only did the test not really work, but that the representations about the financial standing of the company were also false. So there are allegations that there, there are two groups of victims, both investors and patients. Theranos was a company that one time had a valuation in the neighborhood of $9 billion. And a woman who's very compelling in her personal story, I remember having friends talking about her in a laudatory way when it looked like she uniquely in a very male-dominated world was you know, a very hyped CEO in her own right. And I will say, you know, it was very disturbing to a lot of people that it turns out it was essentially a fraud. This is a, an interesting trial in a lot of different ways. But what I've always focused on here is whether the fall of Elizabeth Holmes was a takedown for good reason or for bad reason. And, and that's sort of the defense's strategy here. They're saying that she had a good idea and she wasn't able to execute it, but it never crossed over the line into 
to fraud. And so the argument that I thought we would hear, the defense I thought we would hear at this trial, was exactly that, right? That that this wasn't fraudulent, that there was no intent. That's often the issue in white-collar cases. But it turns out that Elizabeth Holmes has a different defense in mind, maybe in addition to arguing that the government can't meet its burdens of proof on intent. But there's another interesting defense going on here, right? Yeah, I mean, I think they are still sticking with she didn't believe it was a fraud. She just tried very, very hard. And failure at a business after giving it your all is not a basis for a fraud charge. But then she's also arguing, and I think this is what you're you're getting at, that she was abused in some way by the person who became her lieutenant, Sonny Balwani. And that abusive relationship, to the extent it caused her to do bad things or engage in fraudulent conduct, that's why. Now, there, there are all sorts of defenses you can make based on, on mental state. This is not one that I'm familiar with. It's very odd to me, and I don't know all the details of it, and I think experts are being allowed to testify about it. But in connection with the financial fraud, where the whole idea of the business originated with you, meaning Elizabeth Holmes, and Elizabeth Holmes is the CEO, and Elizabeth Holmes sort of orchestrated all of this, the idea that she was somehow in the in the thrall of Sonny Balwani, who admittedly was much older and much more experienced and had, you know, run a company and sold a company previously, that the fact that you had a bad relationship with an older man absolves you of guilt in making false statements about your product and about your financial wherewithal at the company. Am I missing something? I don't see how that flies. I don't think you are. And I think it's ultimately going to play as very offensive to women. Here you have this this very strong CEO figure, you know, sort of the, the female Steve Jobs. And suddenly she's saying, well, but I was never really in control because a man was telling me what to do. The reason that we know she's going to allege this as her defense, it sort of comes up in pretrial motions Holmes and Balwani are indicted together, but they're going to have separate trials. His trial won't take place until after the first of the year. And that's because she's raising this defense. And Balwani's legal team is concerned that when she makes allegations that she's not responsible because he was in essence abusing her, that she had a battered intimate partner syndrome, that that would be prejudicial to him. So that's why we know this will be her defense. That's why we've got two separate trials in the offing. I haven't looked, Preet, at the makeup of this jury, the composition of this jury, but I'm not sure that this is a defense, its legal merits aside, that is going to land well with all of the jurors. No, I don't think so either. One thing that occurs to me with respect to this case, and that I've asked myself and other people have asked me, and have asked me in other contexts where you have, you know, brazen frauds committed basically out in public view, is how does it happen? How do you get so far? How do you get a company up to $9 billion? And it's a complicated question, and I have a couple of thoughts on that. You know, one is, it's another reason why I think that this defense of the abusive relationship will not work. It was Elizabeth Holmes herself who recruited very, very famous, largely older white men to be supporters of the company and to the board of directors. And they include people like former Secretary of State George Shultz, Henry Kissinger, former Senate Majority Leader Bill Frist, Jim Mattis, Mad Dog Mattis, and other people who, in a kind of reputational Ponzi scheme, every time you go to an investor and you say, look, here's our product— they also ask, well, who, who are the other people 
who are supportive of the company, and you point to a who's who of military and other leaders, that gives people a feeling of comfort that, well, you know, I guess those guys aren't morons. But then you realize over time, if you've been in this business long enough of investigating and prosecuting fraud, yeah, people can be duped, and they can be duped by a very, very strong pitch. And the more sort of significant, reputationally strong people you collect along the way, other people are prepared to part with their money because they think it's a good deal. And, you know, this is a lesson to everyone if you're planning to invest in something. The singular insight about this is, yeah, you had these people like Henry Kissinger and Bill Friss and whatever you think of them. None of them had expertise in blood testing. Not one of these people. And that's what was missing. I think anytime you see a board like this, and of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty. to be fair, but anytime you see this sort of a celebrity board that lacks people with substantive expertise or people with startup expertise, I think that's a real red flag. So although you use that, you know, sort of Ponzi scheme, as you say, of names to attract new investors, looking at this from the outside, she never had real oversight from her board. She just had a lot of syncophants. No, that's completely correct. And here's the other dynamic that I've seen over and over and over again. It's not just that investors gave her money. She she had very lucrative contracts with chain drugstores, including Walgreens. There were a lot of red flags here. And, you know, blood tests were not able to be replicated. And there were a lot of reasons to doubt the hype that Elizabeth Holmes was stating about her own company. And I think a lot of fraud and fraud enabling comes from a very simple concept, FOMO. You know what FOMO is? No, what's a FOMO? FOMO is fear of missing out. And in this case, as I understand it, you had executives at Walgreens. Like, should we engage in this contract or not? And they had real doubts because there were real red flags, as I recall reading. But there was a possibility that it wasn't too good to be true. And this technology was workable and it was going to be very lucrative. And the idea that some other chain, some other drugstore chain, would come in if Walgreens said no and engage in the contract, and they would have to sit and watch that other company reap all the benefits was too much for the Walgreens executive. So time after time, you find people, whether it's in the Bernie Madoff scheme or something else, who against their better judgment and against the presence of red flags and other issues, do the thing anyway because they, the idea of missing out on something that might seem too good to be true is too much to bear. And of course, that works on both sides, right? Because at some point, Elizabeth Holmes is so far into this that the choice she faces is acknowledging that her, her Edison box, her genius plan, is not working the way she's been trying to get it to work for 10 years, or to just keep going and hope things will work out. I mean, at some point, not just Walgreens, but Safeway, they're both building wellness centers in their facility. Safeway has $350 million invested in these wellness centers, and they're testing people. And I think the point at which her defense is going to fail, quite frankly, is the point at which, as you say, there are the two separate conspiracies and the two separate types of wire fraud. One involves investors, the other involves doctors and patients, but it reaches a point where there are patients whose lives are being impacted by the failure of these tests, by the fact that there are false positives or false negatives. And that's the point at which her defense that this was just a long-time project that didn't work out, I suspect will fail. 
Look, so, so we'll see what happens. You never know what a jury will do. There are lots of particulars of the fraud. There were investors who gave blood samples and were made to believe that it was their own blood that was being tested. And it wasn't actually their own blood being tested, which had to have been, and certainly was known to Elizabeth Holmes. That seems to be a fairly clear example of fraud. But I think what she's relying upon is the thing that you mentioned already, garnering some sympathy because she was allegedly in an, an abusive relationship. And also, by the way, the trial was delayed uh, first because of COVID and also, I believe, in part because she was pregnant. She's having a baby. And in opening statements, her lawyer pointed out, and this is a, a thing that defense lawyers do all the time to humanize their clients, pointed out that she's a young mom. In this case, I mean, that highlights how real this is. What the defense strategy here is, is jury nullification. Sure, she did something wrong, but we need to give her a break because she's a young mom. So the trial was severed because there are conflicting defenses between Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Bilwani. So Sonny Bilwani's trial will happen second. So whatever happens in the first trial, do you believe that as a strategic matter that Bilwani, as the second defendant, has some advantage? So that's an interesting question. As a prosecutor, I obviously want to try them both together and let them point the finger at each other and have some fun with that situation. You know, if she's convicted here, does he have the ability to argue? Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. That's cafe.com slash insider. And to the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.